Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the book of Job, the first two chapters are the introductory story of how this wealthy, well-respected, and devout man lost everything. Chapters 3 through 37 are a dialogue between Job and so-called friends who brought him the opposite of comfort. And as we read in our Old Testament lesson today, Job was brought to the very edge of blank despair. It's in chapter 39 that the Lord finally answers him. And our sermon text is from, I'm sorry, chapter 38, verses 1 through 11. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fasted, fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. So far of God's holy word. In the name of Christ Jesus, who can and does repay from his fullness all he takes away, dear fellow redeemed. <clears throat> As mentioned earlier, a devout Christian man was taken home to heaven yesterday morning, Paul Tiefel Sr. And although the Tiefel family will be, no doubt, grieving his loss, I rather doubt that many of them, if any, are greatly distressed, questioning why, why would God take him away? Sometimes there's a tragic death where that's a terrible problem. In this case, there's a man who for his whole life, and especially in recent years, earnestly desired that upward call and God granted it to him. So while there is loss, there is great joy. Sometimes though, the question why figures very prominently. <clears throat> Imagine, if you will, a man who's sent overseas, deployed to a foreign country and in the midst of a pitched battle. He storms the enemy lines to take out the machine guns and sacrifices his life for the benefit of the others in his unit. You can be sure that this young man's family is going to be grief-stricken and may well ask in anguish, why did we have to lose him? But there are some answers. It's because he fought for his country. He 
sacrificed himself for his fellow soldiers. He was defending his wife and children and people back home. While it's a horrible loss, there are some answers there. Sometimes there just don't seem to be any. A young couple were looking forward to the birth of their newborn son, but he was born with terrible birth defects and lived only a few hours or days. You can be sure that a dark cloud would hang over them. And it's hard to imagine in a situation like that what good could possibly come from it. Why, O oh Lord, did you allow this to happen? God assures us that there are answers, that he is in control, that nothing happens without his assent. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. And he said, the hairs of your head are all numbered. Nothing happens unless the Lord allows it to happen. But when it strikes close, and when it's a terrible, terrible grief, a person agonizes over the why. And I know for a fact there are examples among the people of this congregation, perhaps in your own life. It can be a crossroads for your faith, maybe even a crisis. And so the theme for today's sermon is a single word, a single word that is a question. The question is why? And it's a question that God may not answer at all in this life. But it's a question that our all-merciful God will someday answer fully. Just to recap the story of Job, I'm sure it's familiar to most of us, but you recall those opening chapters, don't you, of a man whose heart was with the Lord, who was blessed with great wealth and a large family and the honor of his fellow men, but the devil challenged God. The devil said, take away all that he has and he'll curse you to his face. And God said, do what you will, but don't harm him personally. And in a single day, he lost nearly all of his family in tragic accidents. He lost all of his possessions. He was reduced to abject poverty. His wife told him, you might as well curse God and die. But he did not. He retained his faith and trust in the Lord. The devil came back to God. <clears throat> And the devil said, skin for skin, if you touch his bone and his flesh, then he'll curse you to his face. And God said, do what you will, but don't take his life. And then Job, with all these losses, was covered from head to foot in painful sores, raging fever. He sat in dust and ashes in blank despair. And then the following many chapters, are Job and his so-called friends asking that question with regard to what happened to him. Why? And his friends, some friends, were no help at all because they came up with an answer, and it was the wrong answer. They said, you're guilty of some horrible sin. It must be secret because you're not telling us about it, but bring it out in the open and repent of it, and you'll get relief. And Job was humble enough to know that he had sin like any other, but he knew that God was not punishing him 
for some outstanding sin of rebellion because he was not guilty of such a thing. But he's left wondering, if God isn't punishing me for some secret outstanding sin, why is he letting this happen to me? And his comfortless friends did not help. The loss and pain tormented him. The accusations against his character from his friend enemies tormented him. And he was eventually worn down to the very edge of despair, at the edge of his rope, almost ready to give up on God entirely. And that's when God does speak. God speaks to him in chapter 38. And we go, aha, God's finally going to tell him why, why all these things happen. No, he does not. Instead, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Where was Job when God, well, where were you when God laid the foundations of the earth? That's in time immemorial. You weren't even a glint in your father's eye. You didn't exist. You weren't there. Job was not there, and you weren't there when he laid the cornerstone of the earth, when he set the boundaries for the seas and oceans and said, you can come this far, but no further. You were not there. And so when the Lord begins to speak, in effect, he's saying, Job, who do you think you are to question me and my ways? And if you've ever been suffering enough to assume that God should be answerable, that he owes you an explanation for what's going on, then you're sorely mistaken. There are other scripture passages that speak about this very subject. Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, or Ecclesiastes chapter 11. As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Though you're suffering a terrible burden and you can't help but ask the question why, when you're trying to analyze God's ways and second guess his purposes, it's pretty much the same thing as the ant and the grass looking at the people walking by on the sidewalk and wondering why are they doing what they're doing. It's totally beyond us. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, the Lord says in Isaiah 55, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. <clears throat> Still, we can't help but ask with agony, why, dear Lord, and sometimes we take comfort in pious platitudes. Everything happens for a reason, we say. And the scriptures tell us, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that's true in the front of our minds. But the burden is so heavy. And it's so dark. From the inside, we're still questioning. We're still asking, dear Lord, how could you let this happen to me? Is this the way you treat your own? Don't you care or have you simply forgotten me? Well, the Lord does not owe us an explanation. 
And sometimes, well, sometimes we can see after the fact what God had in mind later on, not always. Sometimes we never find out why in this life. It remains a mystery. And if the sermon today ended right there, it would be pretty cold and comfortless, wouldn't it? While it's true that why is a question that God may not answer now, the genuine comfort is found in this. Why is a question that we know God will someday answer fully. Our Almighty God is also all merciful. And the reason why the Christian can wait, even in grief, for answers is because of someone else's why. If you want an answer that may not satisfy the mind, but does satisfy the heart, then look to Jesus, who asked the ultimate why. Yes, Jesus asked an agonizing why as well. And of all the countless people throughout the history of the world who ever questioned God's will and ways in the midst of the darkness, the Lord Jesus had the best reason to ask. It was Jesus, wasn't it, who kept God's commandments flawlessly, who was innocent not only of great transgression, as Job knew he was, innocent of any sin at all. It was only Jesus who was tried and tested and tempted, but never gave in to sin and always prevailed. Only Jesus, who was perfectly innocent. Yet on the cross, Jesus is the one who was made guilty of all sins of all time. And you know the why I'm speaking of, don't you, in the midst of the blackness, that question was torn from Jesus' soul as he cried out, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? He was made to suffer as the sinner of all time. And we know the answer to that why. And it helps us with our own. Why did Jesus have to suffer so? He was abandoned by God, so we would never be abandoned. He was blamed for all sin and guilt, so we would never be blamed. He was forsaken by God so that he might stand by us as his own dear children, even unto life eternal. Jesus went to his death so that we would be raised to life. He bore up under all sorrow, tears, and pain, and grief forever to deliver us from all those things forever. And it is this all-merciful God who deserves our trust when we are confronted with that question ourselves, with the why. He may not reveal his reasons for the griefs we face in this life, and he doesn't owe us an explanation for them. But because Jesus asked why and later said, it is finished, and rose again from the dead, the faith that God gives us causes us to say with peace in our hearts, I'll be content with what I do know, that my sins, though great, have been canceled, that my future, though I must pass through the valley of the shadow of death, is secure, 
that my loved ones in Christ, though absent from me now, are with the Lord, and I will be with them as well when he comes again. <clears throat> One of the great examples I had of this answer to the question why came from a woman named Judy, whom I served in a previous congregation. Judy was a resident of a nursing home, though she was only in her later 40s because she suffered from multiple sclerosis. And what started out as some numbness in her legs became clumsiness and she was diagnosed. And this nervous system disease gradually took away her motor function, little bit by little bit. By the time I would visit her regularly in the nursing home, she was confined to a wheelchair. And over several years that I visited her, she was later bedridden, then blind, then had difficulty swallowing, and then finally her heart stopped beating. Along the way, I once asked her, Judy, haven't you ever been torn up on the inside wondering why the Lord would allow this to happen to you in the prime of your life? And she said, well, of course. Of course I have asked God why. But I know that I'm on my way to heaven because of Jesus, and my questions will all be answered then. And I'm content with that. That's Christian faith. Every question that needs to be answered will be then because of Jesus, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. There's a whole lot to look forward to, to being in heaven with Jesus and the fellow saints, with no tears or sorrow or crying, but one of the main features is the answer to every question that may still concern us. I shall know just as I also am known. So you can afford to wait to have the why questions answered, and you can help others who are struggling with that too. If someone knows you to be a Christian person, and they suffer terrible tragedy, and they say, you're supposed to know the answers. Why would a loving God let this happen to me? You can tell them, don't pretend to know something you don't. I, I don't know what God's will and ways for you are right now. But I do know someone who asked the same question. And I know the answer to Jesus' question, why he suffered worse than anyone ever has, and I know that he, that kind of savior, will provide answers in due time. And you can be of assistance to someone by leading them to Jesus' cross, an empty tomb. Say, do you know what kind of Christians ask why the most? In my experience, it's the elderly. How many times have I been at a shut-in's home or the nursing home and someone who says, I've been ready to go be with the Lord for I don't know how many years, and I just don't know why, why he still wants to let me wait here for his upward call. That question came across from, for instance, Paul Tiefel Sr., numerous times that I've seen him over the past few years. Why am I still here? And there are possible answers. The Lord still has work for you to do, though you may not recognize what it is. 
People tend to pay close attention to the words of those who are approaching their death. You have the opportunity to speak about the Savior to people who are focused on that message right now, perhaps, but we can't pretend to know exactly why. That's part of God's inscrutable will. So we leave it in his hands, knowing for certain <clears throat> that our end will be like that of the patriarch Job. You know the end of the story, don't you? Job was restored. Back to full health, family and friends to support him, his honor, integrity, and greater wealth than he had before. God supplied more in the end than he had allowed to be taken from him. You've got that same thing coming, even if your questions are unanswered for the time being, because when Jesus comes again, you will have full health. You will have treasures beyond compare. You will have, in the presence of the Savior, a blessed life with him and the answer, the answer to all questions in your heart and mind. So in your time of sorrow, remember Jesus, why? Remember the answer to that question, to accomplish our salvation and be content to know that this all-merciful God is worthy of our trust. And then, as sure as the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, the day will come when his promise will be fulfilled. He said, then the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. May God bring that day for each of us and soon. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.